Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. And Lawrence Springboard, the Gundawindi Regional Mayor, joining us this morning as Gundawindi hosted the Bush Council's convention uh, last week. Um, and look, it was a very worthwhile event, more than 200 delegates there. And some of the real big factors, we spoke with Georgie Somerset earlier and she talked about, oh, well, we've got to have land agreements. But the renewable energy sector to me, is more these solar wind farms are more concerning than good. And Lawrence Springborg joins us this morning because some of the issues that were raised at this convention now speak volumes of where this could end up. Lawrence, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, good morning, Dobbo. Great to be with you. There is some dramas. that, Like, I mean, we all see all the fluffy good stuff. Oh, a wind farm and how wonderful. But, I mean, what is it actually doing? Like, firstly... It's not putting any jobs in the local communities. There's no kids well, going to school, no people living in the communities, and yet, you know, it's the landowner that has to do, deal with the agreement. It's a private agreement. All hell breaks loose, and they're law unto themselves when it comes to, to setting up. Yeah. Dolly, just before I go there, I just want to say that it was a fantastic Bush Council's meeting, uh, convention, and it's held once every ten, uh, two years somewhere through our Queensland. It was our turn this year. And we had around about 40 councils represented. Awesome. And uh, there's just 77 councils in Queensland, so it was amazing. The community really put on a great show. The delegates really, they enjoyed it very much. And Gundawindi, well, that's an example of regional Australia at its best. And our businesses, they put on a fantastic show as well with regards to you know catering, uh, just, uh, just the services that were provided and the feedback was great. But there were a lot of issues that were discussed which were completely symbiotic for rural councils right through our Queensland, whether it be you know, the issues of roads, disaster management, water. But one of the things that actually came up was renewables because there is this mad dash at the moment because they're trying to meet targets and I'm not against renewables per se, but it's the consequences of it which are a real issue and that's what's, what really is starting to come to the surface now. You just mentioned land access agreements. You're 100% right. And what we've got at the moment is divide and conquer yeah. where you've got speculators that are coming in onto people's land. They're signing them up. Uh, and then what they do is because there are these targets, they can then go and on sell that, say they've got a, a potential project and then, you know, they basically monetize that. And of course, the landholders don't really know what they're getting themselves into. And one of the councillors after I spoke came up to me and he said that he had uh, wind farm or, or wind generator people come to him recently, offered him just over 40000 By the end of the week, they're coming back and offering almost fifty. Now, the neighbours that have got an established wind generation facility there, it's been going a couple of years, they got 8000 per tower. So now we've got neighbours that won't talk to each other. We've got divide and conquer. And then what we've also got, of course, is a lack of strategic planning in all of this. What's it look like? How does it connect? Uh, all of those sorts of things. And one of the major issues is what happens 20 years down the track when they've got to be decommissioned because that's the sting in the tail. There's no decommissioning bonds. We don't know what the ownership structure will be with regards to this. So that's a big issue. And it's just short of a million dollars to pull one of them down. So wow. who's responsible for that? And there's over a 1,000 tonnes of concrete underground at each one of these towers. Now, you know, these things create a sugar hit. 
in construction stage, what they do is they put real pressure on your housing and they'll put up housing prices. The real estate agent in Inglewood told me that's directly attributable or certainly in the early stages for a 25% increase. Now, the wind, wind people tell you they don't actually pay above the local odds, but they actually set the market because of the competition. And I'm aware of cases where they've offered up to $1,000 for a house that a family was renting prior for $330. So that gives you some idea. And then, of course, the pick off the workforce. And that's a big issue because workforce is a real challenge at the moment. And, of course, there are some industries that do okay, like you have crane hire or engineering. And we're happy you know, for you know, for those opportunities by local, but they're not really very big in our area. And to give you some idea, this is the largest wind farm in the southern hemisphere in our area. And I asked the question, how many jobs in production? And this is this this is the thing that really flummoxed me. Uh, how many how many jobs uh, in production after it's constructed? And they said we can't guarantee you any jobs. Two and a half billion dollar project now. If you invest $100 million in a dam, you'll get hundreds of jobs, you'll get kids in schools, you'll get people in community. I know sporting the clubs and, and all of the things they offer are really close to you, Dobbo. Yeah. Um, no no one in sporting clubs, no real no benefit. there. No benefit. And we get $20,000 in community grants and they sing the praise of that back into our community um, per annum. Uh, some of our, uh, we've got any number of businesses in our area that don't have a capital contribution of $2.5 billion that give that to the sporting clubs or just to the local benevolent organisation, nursing home, whatever, each year. So from our perspective, how does this build our economy going forward? What happens after construction when all of the, you know, when and, and the infrastructure, roads, that sort of stuff? And we're trying to work through this with government. If they want to do this, then you've got to make sure you do it right. And that's the key because there isn't a strategic focus on this. There's a plan to get to a target, but what does it look like with regards to infrastructure, community building? How does it transform? How does it build? Because all of our existing industries, whether it be you know coal mining, uh, coal seam gas, notwithstanding the, the fact that they have been disruptive in some way just because of the size of them, there's always jobs in construction. You know, there's heavy. You look at the tyres that are sold. You look at the people in the community, the fuel, the tradies, yeah. all of the workforce that goes with that, um, and all of our other traditional industries, whether they be cotton, wheat, beef, sheep, timber, uh, horticulture, intensive animal industries. They build communities, and this is what we've got to get. We've got to get community buildings out of this. Um, and all those other issues dealt with. Yeah, and that's the thing. You raise some really, really important points. Like these might make people in the city's wolf feeling good and fluffy, but there's only some small people that are making big, big money out of it, and the communities aren't benefiting from from this long term. You've got other well, issues in, in your neck yeah. of the woods, Lawrence, and the cross-border issue, including youth justice, has been... It's been difficult because of where you're situated, but you're not the only town situated like this. So these kind of uh, issues, they need to be sorted out because if blokes are doing something in, you know, in, in Gundawindi, then fleeing to Bogabilla, well, then they're not your responsibility. You've recently met with the Maury Plains Mayor, Mark Johnson, to discuss these issues. How do you get it under control? 
Well, that's the $64,000 question, Tobo, and I don't have all the answers on that uh, because we're not in control of this as councils, but we certainly are in control of advocacy on behalf of our community, and we have made some significant steps. Now, from our perspective as a Gundawindi Regional Council, we've been able to push for a 24-hour police station, which we've got with an extra seven police. Now, that's been very, very good because... You know, the police have got basically a 100% clean-up rate now as a consequence, and that's really good. They were very good before, but this actually helps them a lot. But the challenge you've got when you're dealing with juvenile offenders, the, the, the small number of hardened ones who are doing an enormous amount of damage in yeah. communities. Now, we're told that there's only a small number of offenders. That's true, but a small number uh, of, of offenders who are hardened, you know, who just keep doing it, doing an enormous amount of damage, you know, car thefts, um, you know, just destruction generally affect the morale of the community. So while the police might catch them, 100% guarantee, there's almost 100% guarantee they're going to be released and do it again. And that's the issue. And the cross-border thing really compounds that. Now, we have another catch-up towards the end of August with our interstate representatives as well, including members of parliament that want to get involved in this at the state and federal level, uh, working with the Moree Plains Council, trying to get better collaboration across the border. And one of the things that we're really now pushing for is a cross-border jurisdiction or a bubble so that, you know, these linked offences, which are reasonably unique, what's not unique, of course, is the fact that this is happening in a lot of places around Queensland, Australia. What is unique is that you can steal a car in Gundy and you burn it out about 200 metres away and it's dealt with differently. Two separate jurisdictions trying to link it all up um, and... You know, if that happened in Queensland, you'd actually have the arson and the car theft and all that dealt yep. with together. So the, the idea of bringing it all together is one thing. The other thing, of course, is making sure that uh, when there's child safety issues or, or family issues, because there are in, in, in these circumstances of dysfunctionality and disregard, parental responsibility, departments getting in there, working intensively, case managing, where you've got this cycle that's about to be repeated and they, they tend not to step into those sorts of areas. That's important as well. I met with the Youth Justice Minister in Gundy last week and she sought me out and we had a, a good a good catch up and uh, I had around about two hours with her and she indicated that they are going to be putting additional um, resources and an additional um, intensive focus into our region. I trust this is happening elsewhere around yep. Queensland as well. So, you know, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, Dobbo, but uh, we're going to keep at it. So We're going to take a break, Lawrence. Stay with me. This is Rural Queensland today, Monday morning, the 31st of July. We'll take a break, come back with more.